I'm going on to another theme, if you don't mind. <laughs> Indeed, this is rather unusual. My water's not here. I need some water, please. A little drink of water for the dry preacher up here. We'd be appreciated. I'd like you to turn, please, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, please. Genesis chapter 12. I have been rather intrigued uh, in recent months with uh, some of the images that are given to us in the Word of God. Thank you, my dear brother. There will be, will be a special blessing for you in heaven. I know there will be. I made myself read the prophecy of Jeremiah. For years and years and years and years, I have tried to read Jeremiah. But he just wouldn't stop weeping. He was always weeping, weeping and complaining. And I, I mean, I had difficulty with the book called Jeremiah. And the one following, also written by uh, Jeremiah and called Lamentations. He was always lamenting. However, I'm advanced in years and I thought I would discipline myself to go through it and I have been greatly blessed. One of the things that struck me in the book of Jeremiah was Jeremiah's use of images. Now the Bible is full of these images and I'm just intrigued. I'm taking only some of them and sharing them with you and hopefully stir your interest in the, in the whole business of when you're reading your Bible, you know, you tend to read quickly over the images. I mean, we go back to Genesis, for example, the very beginning, and it says that man was made in the image of God. The image of God. How do you like that? And you and I as Christians, we talk about godliness, being like God. Imagine you meet somebody and you're conversing with them or you hear somebody preaching and you, and you say, you know, there's something about God in that person or in a lady. There's something about God and, and you can detect it. And that's because we're made in the image of God. And that, that's, that's reasonable. I mean, that's understandable. We're not perfect the way God is. But God has made us, even unbelievers, even unbelievers, we should try to look for something in the image of an unbeliever. He was born, he was born in sin, as we all were, or she was. But the image is there, and we should try to find the best in somebody. Even unbelievers have vestiges of godlike character and I've met quite a few of them in my day it will deepen your spiritual life if when you're reading the bible you look at these images now for example it's like a sign language when you see these images it's like a sign language is 
and it visualizes some truth. I'll get, I'll, 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 you'll understand what I'm getting at in a moment. The image industry is big today. I mean, it's very big. People want an image. Evangelists would like an image. And they love their photographs plastered all over the place. Like if you were to do a bulletin, for example, and put my photograph in the front of it, please don't, because people would be turned away from Boulevard right away. But the image industry, especially in Hollywood, big, big industry today, developing throughout the media an image of an individual male or female. The biblical images are given to us uh, to instruct us in one way, but also to help us to worship God, as we shall see when we take a few examples. Now, getting back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he was, he was always speaking to Israel. Israel had departed from God, and he was always preaching to them and weeping that they would turn back to God. I mean, it's a sad, it's an awfully sad story. The man spent his whole life preaching for 40 years, I think it was, and it was just, there was very little result from it, very little. But he was faithful to God right to the end. And it's amazing that God has placed him in the canon of Scripture. His message was one of judgment. That's all he preached. Get back to God. You've drifted away. Get back to God. Unrelenting in his preaching. He went on and on and on on the same thing. He refused to give up. Even though he was intimidated. Even though he was beaten. Even though his feet were put in the stocks and people laughed at him. Even though he was betrayed and persecuted. He kept on preaching. 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 Some of the images, I've just made a little list of them here. Like some of the images you read about. Like burying a linen belt. Burying a linen belt. Like when somebody was buried, he just threw in this linen belt. You see, what's the significance of that? That doesn't mean anything. Well, you'd be surprised. And then another image, picturing, picturing him smashing the wineskins. Just in a fit of anger, you know, holy anger, he split these wineskins. Like, what, 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 why is that mentioned in the Bible? And uh, smashing a clay pot, getting a clay pot and smashing it. Like, so what? Jeremiah what are you getting at that's the question you have to ask and when you look at the context of the story you're in for a surprise another one was using two baskets of figs a basket of good figs and a basket of poor figs bad figs and another one he used but a very very common one in the new time was wearing a yoke around somebody's neck you know one of those yokes which I'll describe in a moment you know, we are made in God's image. We have lost that image, but thank God through Christ that image is being restored. We all with open faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How do you like that? You and I, even though we're sinful beings, we are being changed into the image of God. Do you see God in your brothers and sisters? Do you see God? Now you, I mean, do you, do you demonstrate, do you reveal God in your life from day to day? Not only in the assembly, but where you work, in the home, with your wife and family, 
Do you emulate? Do you reveal the glory of God? Well, this is what it's all about. Colossians chapter 3 said, Strip off the old self. Be remolded after the image of Christ. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be like, Be like Jesus, this my song. In the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. We sing that, don't we? Do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? Some of God's people would scare you to death almost. Put on the character of Christ. Be conformed, says Romans. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Peter says, follow his steps. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, put on the new man. The new man. You see, so this, this question of image is very, very important indeed. And I'd like to take a look at some of these images. Now, if I were to mention some of them, supposing I said to you, for example, supposing I said to you, the jawbone of an ass, what character would you think of? You would think of Samson, wouldn't you? Supposing I said a borrowed donkey. You would think of Christ when he borrowed the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. Now, you say, is there a significance to that? There is a significance. And this is what I've been searching, you know, doing this little exercise for the past year, I would imagine. If I said to you, what about the sun, the sun standing still? Oh, you would say, well, it's Joshua, of course. There's always a character associated with these things. Like, for example, if I were to say, um, manna. Well, you would think of Moses and the people of Israel in the desert. They're the Sinai Peninsula. They're wandering about in the desert, and God is feeding them with this little type of coriander seed. Insignificant. But you would think of Moses, and you would think of the Israelites, and you would think of their disobedience. There's a whole story emerges when you consider these images. We turn to Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see the image here, please. And then we'll try to learn from it. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred, from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless you, them who, who bless you, and I will curse them who curse you. And in you, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is Abraham. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years when he departed out of Haran. Abraham took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now watch. And Abraham passed through the land to a place called Shechem, to the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto your seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar. Now there's the image. The altar. What's the significance of the altar? And uh, he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence to a mountain to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So what's this? What can we learn from this altar? 
What can we learn from this? What is this image? What is the substance of the lesson to be learned from this image? After all, an altar was just a pile of stones. That's all the altar was. From Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and on down, on down until they built the tabernacle. When, when they built these, when they built these uh, altars, they were just piles of ordinary stones. That's all they were. God promised to bless Abraham. And that's why he was obedient. He built these altars. And what did he do with it? He worshipped at the altars. In what way? Well, he would take an animal. He had been told by God, obviously, to take an animal, slay the animal, put it upon the altar, and worship God. That was what he was supposed to do. 35 years later, of course, after this incident in Genesis chapter 12, he took his son Isaac, put him upon the pile of stones. Now, that's what the elders all about. He called the place Jehovah Jireh. And he called upon the name of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11 says that he was a giant of faith along with, along with others like Noah and, well, Noah before Abraham. There was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Saul, and David, and Solomon. Or David and Solomon particularly. Solomon particularly, he built the beautiful temple. And he had an altar, and it wasn't a particularly beautiful thing, but it was nevertheless was much better than a pile of stones. But all of these men who preceded, David was sitting in his big palace one day, looking out the window on a beautiful day, and he had a lovely oak pile, and there was the old tabernacle out there. And David said, hey, David, God shouldn't be living in a, an old tent like that. I'm going to build you, God, build, God, I'm going to build you a lovely place. And God said, no, you're not. You're a man of war. Your son, Solomon, he's a man of peace. He will build. And he built a splendid temple. A splendid temple where people could go and sacrifice once, of course, they were all settled in the promised land. Hebrews chapter 13. We have an altar. That's what the epistle to the Hebrews. We have an altar. You and I, believers in Christ. Now what's our altar? Our altar is Calvary. Our altar is Calvary. So you see, like these images, they point to something. They point to, a, ours is a better altar. Ours is a better sacrifice. Our altar, of course, is Christ sacrificed for us at the place called Calvary. And there was nothing fancy about where he was kneeled to an altar. Nothing fancy about the cross. We sing the old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. Now these Jewish altars, of course, are now obsolete. And the Bible, the old hymn writer said, not all the blood of bulls and ghosts, beasts could, could take away one stain, but Christ the heavenly lamb, he was the one. So you see, the altar points to Christ. This rugged, simple pile of stones on which an animal was sacrificed, we point the Old Testament saints to the future when Messiah would come. They had little concept of him dying. They had some concept, but not like what you and I have. He came and he died upon Calvary's cross. Now, they were, they were not allowed to get chisels out. You know, you get a pile of stones and you put the pile of stones, you think, well, there's nothing fancy about that. But you see, they were not allowed to get... In Exodus, you, you can read this. 
they were not allowed to get a chisel and put, put these stones into fancy shapes and make the altar, you know, embellish it and make it fat. No, no, no. Just a pile of stones. And when we look at the cross, when we look at the cross, we did that this morning. On this table, we don't have a pile of stones. We have bread and wine. And why do we have that? Well, that represents what Jesus has asked us to do. His body broken, his blood shed. And we gathered around those emblems that, that, that symbolize the death of Christ on Calvary's cross. So these altars of the Old Testament, they point to the cross. They point to a place of sacrifice and a place of surrender. Now, when we came to you this morning... And we remember the Lord and the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine. You know, did, did, we, did we surrender? I mean, we believe in the sacrifice for our sins. But the question is, have we surrendered? Did we surrender this morning afresh? I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice. I belong to you. We sing all these hymns. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Really? I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Hey, we love to sing these hymns. They're beautiful hymns. But are we serious? Are we ser Is your life surrendered to God? Is it? Uh, the, the, these altars were not piles of stones as some kind of shrine to human effort. No, no, no. There was nothing beautiful about them, as I've said. And it's the same with the cross. The cross is a symbol of our need and divine acceptance if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not going to decorate this table. A lot of Christian uh, organizations and Christian groups, you know, they love to decorate. They love to embellish. They love to make it fancy. And they're occupied with all of this when they should be occupied with the old rugged cross. And offer themselves as sacrifices to God. And surrender one's life. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. It was an old rugged cross. And of course, a lot of these people today, you know, use the cross as, as some kind of idolatry. Beware of the temptation of worshiping self, because that's what people are doing today in many, many churches. It's all about me. It's all about me, myself, and I. That's what's preached in many of these evangelical so-called circles today. It's not about self. It's not about self-promotion and self-expression and meeting my felt needs pleasing me. I want to go out of this meeting feeling happy, Mr. Graham, and I don't feel happy one little bit from what you're telling me. You're telling me I should surrender my life to God. You're telling me I should die to the world and sacrifice myself to the world and live for God. Yes, exactly, because that's what the Word of God says you should do, and I should do. It's not about you. It's about Christ. Always. Depending upon God. 
In the Old Testament, it was an altar. In the New Testament, it's a table like this spread afresh each Sunday morning to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. So it helps us to determine. It helps us to understand the whole question of discipline and surrender. I mentioned this morning and I mention again, my brothers and sisters, you say that you've made a confession of faith in Christ. You say you're a believer in Christ, but I'm asking you again, are you a committed Christian? Are you committed? Are you serious? Do you really and do I really understand what's involved here? The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Do you get that? The world didn't want Christ and the world doesn't want you. It doesn't want me. We are crucified with Christ. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're different. You're different. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. This is the Bible. Now, we could quote these verses just as I'm doing, but are we really putting these things into practice? You young men with your lives in front of you, and one of the things I enjoy most about coming to, coming to this assembly is to see the young people. Your lives ahead of you. If you surrender your life to God, you'll never regret it. You will know the meaning of life as God meant you to live it. Yeah. And I'm always delighted to see the young men here taking part. Keep on, keep on doing it. Keep on serving, putting yourself on the altar. And remembering the one who died for you at Calvary's cross. If we focus on Calvary, if we focus on the cross, we will follow him as true disciples. So that's my first image. Turn to Jeremiah now. We'll go to Jeremiah. I did mention Jeremiah earlier. So in all fairness to him, we should go to chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. And maybe this is an image that somebody could understand. And maybe it's needed for somebody in the assembly. Who knows? The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, chapter 18, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. There it is, was marred. The clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you at this, as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now here's, a, here's a clay pot. We're reading about this image of a clay pot. Now, we all know what a clay pot is. Very, very simple. But there's a very, very important lesson here. You know, of course, with a potter, he gets the clay, and the clay is just a, a whole, just a, a handful of mud or clay. And he has to knead that. He has to press that to get the bubbles out, to get the air out. And it's revolving on a wheel. And as it's revolving on a wheel, of course, the vessel becomes shaped in the potter's hand. He shapes it. But as he shapes it, his hands are very careful to make sure there are, there are no problems, that it's smooth. And, but ah, all of a sudden, he feels something. He feels that there's a, some kind of a marring influence here. There's a flaw. 
There's a defect. And so he takes the, the whole mass of clay again and he brings it all together and he squeezes it again and he reforms it. He remodels it. Well, now, that, that, That's the lesson. That is a simple lesson that we learn from the clay pot. Is there somebody here in the meeting tonight? There's no use me speaking. There's nobody who's out there. and They all need to be remolded. But is there anybody in the meeting tonight? I'll direct my remarks to you, of course. And you need to be remolded. You, you, you've been drifting away from the Lord. You've been backsliding. You know, in a sense, I believe we're all backsliders. Some are more backslidden than others. But I'm asking you, do you need to be remolded? Do you need to be brought back to God and let God remold your life? Is that what you want to do or do you want to go your own way? You see, Israel was marred. Oh, I don't know how the Lord put up with Israel. I don't know how the Lord puts up with us. Israel was taken out of the nations to be God's ideal of a godly nation, a godly people. But you see, the history of Israel indicated that over and over again, the potter had to take Israel and they had to, you know, discipline, is the word discipline the nation, bring them together again, remold it, and they must yield. They, 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 They must yield to the potter's hands. That's the whole secret. And then they would be renewed. They would be a chosen vessel. A vessel of honor, meet for the master's use. Sanctified, meet for them. Sanctified means set apart, you see. Meet for the master's use. Now this applies to us. The church is marred, no question about it. Are you resisting God? Are you resisting the potter? Think of the lost opportunities that you have had experience. Think of the hardness of your own heart. Think of your disobedience and I will do the same. Well, then seek forgiveness. Come back to the potter. Yield your life to God. Let him remold you. Submit to him. Let him reshape your life. If the, if you're, if the years that you've lived so far have been lost somewhat, uh, and you're not pleased as you look back, then maybe this is the night when you get before God in his presence. And the God who created you is prepared to reform you, to forgive you your sin. To redeem your soul, he has done that. To be conformed to the image of his son. He calls you now to take up the cross. And to be like Jesus. This my song. In the home and in the throng. To be like Jesus all day long. We sing, I will be like Jesus. Well, do you really mean it? Do I? And we have to let the mind, you see, let this, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Would you say that from day to day you have the mind of Christ in everything you do? Do you? How's it going from day to day? How's your Christian life, you know, unfolding day by day? Is it a, is it a chore? Are you bored with the Christian life? Or is this something that excites you? You're a child of God. And God has chosen you for a vessel, to be a vessel of honor, to bring glory to his name. Like, what a privilege this is. Oh, it's nice to come to the meetings and to listen to God's word and to sing God's praises and to shake hands with your brothers and sisters. But what happens after you leave? This is the practical nature of these images. The altar is you surrendered. 
and the clay pot is you restored. Maybe somebody needs to be restored here. Maybe you've drifted away and you know you're drifting away and it's getting on your nerves. You know it's not right. Well, come back to God. He will forgive you and he will remold you. He will renew you. That's the whole lesson to be learned from this little clay pot image. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, you yield. That's what you have to do. You yield. And the word yield there, of course, is the word for surrender. Surrender. And getting back to the word surrender. This is what we have to do. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living set. Yield. You surrender your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, by the way, I mean, this, this, this is something we have to do practically on a daily basis. And it's a choice. Yeah, it's a choice. We call upon unbelievers to make a choice. Well, I'm calling upon my fellow brothers and sisters and I examine my own heart to make a choice. You've got to make a choice here about surrendering your, surrendering your life to God. Back in Ireland where I come from, you know, there's a... We have a slogan in Northern Ireland. No surrender. If you were to visit Northern Ireland, you would see it plastered over all the place. No surrender. Now what does that mean? Well, it just simply means that the North of Ireland has a population of one and a half million and 65% are Protestants, 35% are Catholics. In the Republic of Ireland to the south, which does not belong to the United Kingdom, they hate the English. It's 95% Catholic, 5% Protestant. And they want Ireland united, and that's what Irish troubles have been for years and years and years and years and years. That's what it's all about. So if you were to go to Northern Ireland, you would see in the walls all over the place, where all the streets where I lived in, there was a, photo, a big painting of King William of Orange. He came over from Holland, a militant Protestant, and he slaughtered the Catholics at the Battle of the Boyne in 1690. And we celebrate that every year on the July the 12th. But all the walls are plastered with no surrender. We are not going to surrender to the Catholic South. We are not going to be united. Now that's the opposite, of course, of what I'm saying here. You and I are to be surrendered to the master craftsman. To let him mold your life if anyone cleanses himself second timothy from dishonor he will be a vessel of honor sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work second timothy chapter 2 no matter how much of a mess your life is in in the hands of the potter you can be remolded maybe there's someone with a sense you know of brokenness brokenness Maybe you're hurting from something. Well, God can renew that. You know, we sing the old hymn, you know, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting. Yield it and still. We sing these hymns. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence humbly I bow. 
Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. I mean, brethren, think of these words that we've been singing for years. Do we really mean it? Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. That's nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now the last one I want to, you needn't turn to it, I'll just quote the verse, Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all you who labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. There's another image. Now when I think of a yoke, I think of this wooden device, a wooden device with two holes in it. And this wooden device is put over the head of two animals. I'm talking about now the agricultural scenery and activity in the Middle East. It still goes on today in many parts of the world. And there's the two animals yoked together. And they're out in the field. And the farmer is directing them along the field so that he can cut these rows or these furrows in the field to do his planting. And there the animals go together. Now, when they're training a young animal, they usually put it in with, they usually yoke it with an older animal. And, and the younger animal will buck and shove and, and kick and so on. But nevertheless, the older animal keeps going, keeps going, and the young one has to keep up. Why is that? Because they're yoked together. Are you yoked to Christ? This, talks, this tells me about relationship. That's what Jesus meant. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest. Rest. Are you troubled about something? Well then, it's because you're bucking the yoke. You're not focused on Christ. Why don't we learn these? These are only simple images. And the Bible has got hundreds of them. If you can think of any, by the way, give me, you know, email me the images and tell me what you think of it. Defend the truth at AOL.com. I've got, I've, I've got about 20 or 30 of these and I've only covered three in the last one very quickly. If you want to stay in for another hour or two, a minute, I can continue. But listen, seriously, this, this is a truly remarkable thing here. We are to, we are to surrender. It's all about relationship. You know, we talk about, you know, when you get saved, you have a personal relationship with Christ. And that's right. But tell me, do you enjoy this? Every day. I'm sure you do, by the way. I'm not trying to put doubt in your mind. Don't get me wrong. The people who are here tonight are faithful believers in Christ. Faithful believers. I believe you're yoked to Christ and you enjoy a relationship with him. To me, life is meaningless, meaningless without Christ. This world is doomed. I don't know how the vast majority of people can refuse to be yoked with Christ. But they do. They do. This is it. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Stop resisting. 
Stop resisting. Walk with Christ. Many, you know, travel with excess baggage, all kinds of baggage that weigh you down, and you're not following Christ. To be yoked with Christ is to be connected to him. Have you noticed, by the way, on the radio and television, that the word connect, that's the end word today. Everybody's connected. Connected. I'm connected. Are you connected? Well, that's what this word, that's, what, that, that's the whole that's the whole idea behind the, the farmer's yoke. You're connected to Christ. And that's what Christ wants. That's why he came to die for you and me that we might enjoy a relationship with him in time and eternity. Brethren and sisters, we are highly favored. We are highly favored. We are indeed to be saved from our sins, to be yoked to Christ, to have his company and fellowship and relationship and connectedness you know every day amen and then to have it throughout all eternity when everything will be absolutely perfect and we shall live with him and be like him and serve him throughout all eternity what a wonderful savior we have what a wonderful savior think about these things and I've just you know I've just this is the tip of the iceberg Think of these images. Think of the Lord, you know, with the water. You remember the Lord before he died? Before he died, he got, he got a little basin and a towel. And here's the God of the universe with some water and a towel. And he's washing the disciples' feet. He's washing their feet. Now, what's that tell us? Humility. Humility. The God of heaven on his knees, washing the dirty feet of the disciples. Like what an image. And the Lord would want us to be like him. Not to wash each other's feet, but to be humble. To be humble people. Not pushing yourself forward all the time, but to be humble. Think of the manna in the wilderness, which I mentioned earlier. That little seed, what, like, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us about the bread of life. In John's Gospel, I am the bread of life. I've come down to feed you. Are you feeding upon Christ every day? That's it. That's the question. And so we could go on, but time will not permit. Thank you for listening. Consider what I've said. Search the Bible for these images. Find the application. And above all, put it into practice. Put it into practice. And I will try to do the same. It's not easy. It's not easy. The world, the world says, come this way. Come this way. Your boss will say, like, like, do this. Do this. And you know you shouldn't do it. You're yoked to Christ and you can't do it. You can't bring Christ there. You can't do it. Say no. Say no. Living for Jesus. A life that is true. Trying to please him in all that I do. That's, that should be our model. May the Lord bless his word to all of our hearts. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for leaving us your holy word. These two testaments... The whole canon of scripture, God breathed, 
with all of these lessons. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't left us to ourselves, blessed God. You have given us the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. You have given us your Holy Word. You have promised to be with us right to the end. What a wonderful salvation this is. What a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus the Lord. We pray, Father, that we will not only be hearers of your word and readers of your word, but that we will be doers of the word and have our lives completely transformed, yielded and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, Father, we need your help. But you have given us the Holy Spirit. You have given us the mighty power of God dwelling within us to live a life pleasing to you. And this is what we would like to do. Do bless your people, Father. And bless the assembly here at Boulevard. Bless your people worldwide. We know you're coming home, coming back to take us home to be with yourself. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we give you thanks for all your goodness throughout this day, committing ourselves now into your tender care for this night. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.